Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamara. Alright, this week is a fun one. This week we're talking to bassist Ricky Phillips. Now Ricky has been a rock and roll lifer. I think of him as a glue guy, you know? He's that guy, we know this from sports metaphors, but he's just that guy that like plays well with others, doesn't get in the way of big personalities, doesn't cause trouble. He starts out uh, joining the babies, and his story about joining the babies is hilarious. It's near the end of their run, plays on the last couple of songs, or a couple of albums, and then when they implode, he goes on and does session work. In fact, he tells a really wonderful story in here about Tina Turner. Uh, we talked, what, shortly after she passed away. Well, his relationships within the babies are strong enough that he gets the call when Waite and Kane come together and form Bad English. So he becomes the bassist in Bad English. Well, they last a little while, then that implodes, as we know, as supergroups often do, and then uh, eventually he gets the call to join Sticks, and that's where he's been for the last, like, 20-something years. And uh, this, there's not a ton of music in this episode, because it's more about his journey, you know? In between, he played, he played on that Coverdale Page album. I love that album. But you can see a trend here, right? When big names, big people, very creative, uh, want to do something, they call Ricky. And he comes in and uh, he does it well. And that's the, and it's the hallmark of who he is. And you can totally tell in this conversation what a fun, laid back, easygoing dude he is. I love it. Now, um, I want to, you know, we usually start these episodes off with playing most people's probably like well known song or one of the singles or whatever. We all know those singles. We've heard, you know, When I See You Smile and stuff like that, the baby's songs. So I want to focus a little bit more on these last couple of Sticks albums, with which, if you haven't been paying attention, are fantastic. They're exactly the kind of things that diehard, longtime Sticks fans should want. This is the title track of the last album, Crash of the Crown, right here. So anyway... I, uh, we talk about that, we talk about all of it. And in fact, there's even a really interesting crowded house story in here that I didn't see coming. So I hope you enjoy this. He's a really good dude. He called me from his home in LA. So first and foremost, Ricky, I mean, I wanna, you have such a fascinating history and I wanna talk about all of it, but um, you, I have to admit, I've been um, on the fence about sticks. To me, sticks has, sticks needs Dennis, nothing against, Lawrence or Larry, however you call it, Gowan, he was on here a while ago too. Nothing against him. He's a great entertainer, but I've always thought if I'm going to go see Sticks Live, it needs to be with Dennis. And I realize that's probably never going to happen. However, last year, uh, Sticks and um, REO, Speedwagon, and Loverboy came through Denver, where I live, and I saw the show. And I was absolutely, completely converted. It was a total blast by all three of you from start to finish. 
And I was not, I did not expect that. And I thought, you know what? Forget it. Sticks are fantastic just the way they are. And Dennis is great the way he is, and he can keep doing his thing. But I, I am the wrong, I was in the wrong having some kind of a, an aversion to sticks because of Gowan. You guys blew it. You were so good. Well, thank you. Uh, I, <clears throat> it's really great to hear. I mean, I hear that. Probably you probably would understand. I hear it more more often than because you know. Let's face it. I I'm a rocker, and uh, when I was in the Babies, the first time I was on stage with Sticks was in 1979, and uh, we opened up for Sticks, did a run of shows. I think we started off in Florida and ended up uh, the Cow Palace. No, actually, we ended up in uh, uh, Seattle, Washington. I think was the last show we did with them, but it was a great time. And Tommy Shaw was the one that was the most friendly and came into our dressing room and said, Hey, and he and I started a friendship. Um, Dennis would walk by and I didn't exist. And it was like, uh, something that well, I would see Tommy at, uh, Oh, you know, like a NAMM show, say for example, or whatever industry events there were. And we'd kind of gravitate towards one another. We weren't, we didn't call each other up and go out to dinner over the years, but we would bump into each other and we were safe Haven in the, whatever that environment was. So, you know, I hear, I, I know I've been there 20 years now and it's, it's, that's hard in itself. It's hard to believe, but yeah. I get it. I get it because I have my heroes, you know, and, yeah. and when it, when it changes, I don't like it. Yeah. We, none yeah. Of us like, we don't like it. We don't, right. it's not, we don't necessarily like the guy that came in, but he's not the guy, you know? Right. right. Here I, here I am in a situation very unique because of Chuck, Chuck and I have become very close good i wondered about that. uh yeah and and he's just a, a a lovely lovely guy um he's had so many things happen to him throughout his life and career and um it's it's just kind of one of those things that we've had to work work with and, and we bring chuck out as you know now yeah and we try to celebrate chuck the, the best he can these days because we do believe in the originals um i won't put any much breath on this other than that you know brothers fight brothers love each other but sometimes they just have to go away and i think that that's what happened but we've yeah. had to move on and or, or certainly tommy and chuck and and uh jy have had to move on and, and and i'm glad i was the guy that they they yeah called on but um i get it man i get it yeah. when people say i don't know man i miss dennis or whatever and i think well have you seen lawrence he's not uh -huh. dennis He's a whole different bag of tricks. Yeah, yes. he's a lot of. He's a lot of talent. It. So, him on that keyboard that he could, you know goes around in a circle and he's dancing around and he was fantastic and you guys all sounded so good and I realized I was the one with the hangup. I was the one who was wrong. What's your well, plans for this summer? I mean, we're finally talking because you guys are almost always on the road doing something. What's the latest? I don't know what I'm supposed to talk about, so I'll just plead okay. the fifth if they if they come after me. But I, I think we're doing some. I, I've heard we're doing something with Joe Bonamassa, who wants to do oh. a little string of shows, just a short run, though. I, from sure. what I hear, um, we're trying to this year. We've been doing trying to do the what the th two two thousand five to five thousand smaller th theater shows yeah. where we play two sets and really play a lot, take a little intermission, come mm -hmm. back and play another hour. And the diehards seem to really like that because we do change it up. And if they want to come two nights in a row, if we're in the same city for a couple of nights, we'll, 
we'll change that up so that the the repeat offenders, as I call them, come they <laughs> they 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 can see some something different, and we can go a little bit deeper into the catalog. I mean, I miss uh, certain songs that we haven't done in ages, but it's just so hard, especially with new the new records having done so well. The last two it adds even more songs that take you a little bit away from. Oh, I don't know, Sweet Madam. Uh, what we gotcha. try to do against Sweet Madam as much as we can. Did we play it the night you saw us? I Sweet can't Madam? remember. I th- if I, uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. There's just so many great songs. Um, yes, going back, and uh, I remember. Well, there, go ahead. So there, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was just gonna say I, I lived in L.A. Uh, and I'd been on tour with Sticks, and as I said, and and. Doing, I think I, I might have been in, I don't think I was in Bad English yet. I think it was an interim period. I might have been working with John Parr or something. By the way, I, when I was with John Parr, we did the um, uh, private dancer tour with Tina Okay. Tina I don't think I knew you were with John Parr, and I have questions about that. I, he's been on here, too. I love him. Oh, love yeah. him. So, okay. I want to go through your whole history because there's some gaps in there that I'm really curious about. No, no, no. Well. Finish your story about John Parr and and oh, Tina Turner. Well, um, I was I was what I was really getting at is that I, I came home and I was I gotten off the road from just this incredible run of shows, and uh, the Tina Turner thing was very special though. There was one night I will share that uh, Pat Torpy and I, God rest his soul, uh, uh-huh. drummer for Mister Big and so many things. He and I did a lot of session work and a lot of things together. We joined. John went over to England and toured, uh, rehearsed with his band and, and toured that private dancer tour and a few television shows and things in the States. But uh, Pat and I went out. Uh, we were, had a long, long overnight drive to Vancouver from uh, someplace else in, in mid-Canada. And Tina was going to tr- cancel a show. And so we were prepared for that. And then all of a sudden she said, no, I can't let these people down. There's just too many people coming. So sold out, you know, 18, 20,000 people. Oh. Uh-oh. So Pat and I watched the show as much as we could. And they said, Hey, we've got to get on the bus. And she was just killing it. Just absolutely. I'm going, I can't believe this is a woman who couldn't stand up before the yes. show. And she's dancing and strutting her stuff. We go to the buses to, and I had forgotten a bag and I was, shoot, I got to run back to the dressing room. I run back just in time to see a three tiered studio from behind with the light shining to it. So I can see her silhouette and the way she closed her show she would go up this stairway and and she would take this boa and just slap it around her throat like this and then just fall behind that and it was over right i witnessed that from behind i wanted to be quiet and and because uh-huh. i thought my gosh her manager and her tour manager she absolutely when that she went like this with the curtain uh-huh absolutely collapsed with nothing left and they oh. i can still in my ears hear the toes of her high heels as they they dragged her back to her dressing room, both of them with one arm over her uh, oh. shoulder. And it was just complete silence except for that scraping of that she had nothing left. She had no left. What a pro. Unbelievable. I mean, I'm tearing up just thinking about yes, it. Yes, I'm all goosebumpy. You saying this. You know what I mean? Yes. The kind of, and, I, and I kind of, in slow motion, walked out to the bus. And I, I said, guys, oh, everybody, quiet down. Hang on. Yeah. I got I to gotta share something with you. And I told him that story. <laughs> everybody was like. Not surprised. She oh. just was that kind of person. That kind yes. of an energy. Yeah. Yes. Maybe. Oh my God. Ooh, I'm all. Ch- yeah. Ooh, yes. The hairs yeah. are all standing up. That. I mean, that doesn't surprise me at all. You know, she had been waiting her whole life for the mo- for the moments like that 
to yeah. be as big as she deserved to be and to entertain as well as she knew she could and to get the love for it. And then after a few years of doing it, she decided I've done it. I don't want to do it anymore. I've, I reached my height and then she retired and went to Switzerland and lived the rest of her life. Happy. You know what I mean? Yeah. She, yeah, she, she and I, lo I love the fact that she found someone who loved her back and she yeah. went to another place and I don't know what her, uh, remaining years were at that point but i'm i i've been told they were very very good and, and yeah me too was able to redeem uh, not that she had to redeem herself but that life redeemed her yes. and yes. gave her a gift to go out on that's exactly right i love that you told that story it's <laughs> it it pales in comparison because i was going to say how nice it's been for sticks lately because of how well the mission and crash of the crown have done and how solid and strong both those albums are to yeah. not be able to, to, it's a, sh it's a shame. I mean, I don't know if you feel like you're getting enough of those albums into your current playlist or, or set list. When I saw you guys, it might've been one or two from both, but sort of quick, you know, like yeah. let's burn through the new stuff so we can get over to, you know, renegade or too much time or whatever. Don't get me, I mean, Rene, I love those songs too, but those two albums especially are so good, they deserve some more time. Thank you. That's that's. Uh, I I agree. I, it's just it's a dilemma. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a uh, what is it? What is JY has a great saying? Something uh, about it's a something of the bounty of riches. I mean, we, yeah. we have to be. We have so many songs that these guys don't like. They like these, uh -huh, and these uh -huh. guys like this, and these guys like it all. And they, and so you want to please everybody, yeah. and you get yeah. slide it in there, but. Um, it's tough. It's tough. So we, uh, we, we change it up. Yeah. And with Will Ivankovic, our, our producer, joining and coming into the band in the past couple of years, uh, he's a very, very, very keen organizer and very astute. He has studied how to uh, kind of put together a show. That and is sometimes, good. Sometimes we're so close to it that we don't see that. We're yeah. too inside the minutiae and he yep. can stand back no you need to do this i'm hearing this from the fans i'm hearing people mm -hmm. here and, mm -hmm. and this in this part of the country this is really strong in this part and he's just all about it and it's been yeah. very helpful in us organized but we're the thing is you gotta stay on your toes because you don't know what the set's gonna be that night when you walk <laughs> in, i always look on the board and say what have i got to go you know put yep. on the headphone and and revisit because yes. he, he tries to uh 
and that's great. It keeps us only the best bands have this problem. You know what I mean? <laughs> only <laughs> we yeah. we have too much good stuff. You know, yeah. only the best bands have this. Um, okay, I want to know your history, and I maybe you've told the story these stories a million times. I don't know, and I so forgive me, but my yeah. understanding is you're sort of, I mean. I don't know, plucked out of obscurity to join babies by Union, Union Jacks is the right word, but you weren't with yeah. some big, you know, comp complimentary or comparable band. You just sort of were the guy right there at that time. And weren't you, did I, was it on your website or somewhere I was reading, you worked at a music store and the tryouts, the auditions were across the street. So you grabbed yeah. a bass guitar off the, off the wall with the, I think yeah. it said with the price tag still dangling and went and auditioned yeah. with it. Tell us. Yeah. It was a Music Man bass, and it's funny because this this year I I haven't had a Music Man bass since that one. I ended up buying that one because it was it got me a gig. But uh, yeah, I was uh, myself, Rudy Sarzo, uh, Frankie oh, Bernal. Oh, all the uh, good guys. Yeah, there were a bunch of us who knew each other. Uh, I met Rudy in in uh, Chicago. He he saw my band, and after the show came up, and said, "Hey, man, you're you're great. I I, I love the way you play." Um, Hey, I know some girls that work down at the uh, the diner down the street, and they'll tear up the check. You want to go have late late day? And so that's how we met, and and we were always try tried to stay in touch as best we could. But we were all couch surfing. We had no money. We we were going to auditions, trying to get gigs, and I was actually the first guy to get to get a gig, and then I think Rudy was second uh, with you know quite right, quite right. But, um, because I remember him calling me and I had moved to, I lived a walking distance from Sunset Boulevard. He said, I'm playing at the whiskey. You got to see this band. I'm going to, this guy, Randy Rhodes, his guitar, you got to come see him. So I, but we were all literally had, I don't know how we survived. I think back, how did I eat? I had no, I know, but I did get that job working in that music store. And I went, I'll tell you, I made a hundred dollars under the table a week, a week. Really, one hundred dollars a week. But i <laughs> i started I started meeting people as they came in, writers and uh -huh. various, various people who were session guys, some bands. And I had I'd only been in L.A. I did get an audition when I the first three days I got to Los Angeles. I auditioned for this guy Timmy Dulaney. He'd been signed to Manicore Records, which was Emerson Lake and Palmer's label, and um, he. Um, is now without a label, nothing, but he has a great band. I auditioned, got it, and I was playing two nights at the Starwood a week. Not every week, but a lot. And um, Timmy would pretty much sell out. Great, great songwriter, great singer. And um, so I was seen by the sound man and the babies, and that's what kind of set that up. They were trying to find me, uh -huh. and I think somebody walked into the, to the uh, music store and said, there you are. We've been, I've been <laughs> we're holding auditions and I knew the babies, but I knew the heroes of mine were going in and auditioning for that. And if yeah. I'm thinking, I'm not, you know, I'm, there's no way I'm going to get it. But I did that day. I grabbed the bass off the wall and walked over and went in and uh, Jonathan Kane had just yeah. joined the band. He'd been, he'd been there a week and they said, uh, you, can you sing anything? I said, guys know any thin Lizzie? Well, I had no idea that was their, favorite band was thin Lizzy, oh. so i did that helped so uh -huh. i sang i sang something and then we jonathan and john wait and i sang together and it had uh -huh. a nice and then they started uh, we did run to mexico and something else off the head first record which wasn't out yet it just it, yeah. it just recorded it and they 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 said okay stop uh i 
they, they said, uh, that sounds really good. We're, we're, we're going to go out and talk to our manager for a second, if you don't mind waiting. I said, okay. They come out. They get Chip Racklin. Bless his heart. He just passed away this year. Chip comes in with them. And uh, and they said, hey, I understand uh, that uh, you must be pretty good because the boys would like for you to join the band. And, uh, and uh, I a little bit more was said, but I, you won't believe what this I, I This is how... This is where people screw up their entire lives. And I almost did because I said, well, I'm actually in a band right now and I can't really commit until I am. I let them know and just, <laughs> I can't just walk out, walk out on them. And I remember John Waite just bristling out John and our dear friends to this day. So, but he bristled up and I saw, I saw what, what kind of a strong personality he was because he said, okay, we'll give you till tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> And so uh, I, I, I lived, I lived in this apartment in, in, in Hollywood with, you know, cockroaches running in. Uh, yeah. But uh -huh. every, there was a lot of actors and out, out of work, what, uh, you know, grips uh -huh. and people in the movie industry, music industry, but we all were kind of poor. I finally got, gotten this, uh, this apartment in this building and we used to meet every night in somebody's room and drink beers. Uh -huh. and just So, they decided to hold court on whether or not I should stay in this lap of luxury or go join a <laughs> successful rock band and made me, made me so paranoid and freaked out that I couldn't sleep that night because I thought, <laughs> Did I, I, holy, they're just going to say, screw this guy. Right. 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 But, so I go to the, the store and Jonathan Kane is already there. He's on the front stoop and he said, he, I go, Hey Jonathan, uh, what's up? And he, he goes, <laughs> I couldn't believe what you said yesterday. Uh, is there something I don't know? I mean, are these guys getting let go by the label? Is, is you know? I said, no, 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 no. Calm down. It's it's me just not knowing what to do, being green as they come. Uh -huh, not, uh -huh. I, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, and so, yeah. a, an hour later, I talked to to John on the phone and and said, uh, "Thank you. I'm I'm privileged. I'd be so sure. honored to to join the band." And the next thing I knew, we were our first gig. Van Halen. Uh, a, David Lee Roth had broken his leg and they were supposed to do two nights for New Year's. This was in beginning of December and the New Year's show, they were, was going to be Van Halen at the whiskey doing sh two sets. So since David had broken his leg, they, uh, they had the whiskey had asked us if we, we would do the show. Holy cow. So that was my first show. And then the next oh morning I got a nice ride up in the LA times and I was a good addition to the band yeah. and we were off and running. You, I, I hadn't considered this before, but you just mentioned kind of casually a minute ago, the other bass players that might've been auditioning for this gig that you beat. Was it Rudy and guys like that? Or who, it was, who do you it know was, that you beat? Well, the only one that I know went and played with them, but I don't in all honesty know if he was really interested in doing the gig was Tim Bogert, who became, became oh. a huge, huge um, influence on me. Yeah. An incredible singer, too, by the way. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But Tim was Ooh, great. Tim Bogert, that would be interesting. Well, oh. I, I think that he was just trying to run through material with them because they were oh. audition people, and they hadn't played the material they just recorded either. Yeah, okay. But I really, I really, really have never asked that question. I just knew because I was in the music store and somebody walked in, and I'd hear all this scuttlebutt, you know, sure. and I would say, uh, it's, it's so above me at that point. Yeah. I'm, I'm just dreaming. That's a dream for me that yeah. I just somebody speaking say oh yeah tim bogert's over there playing with the babies right now so i don't know if i really would believe that tim was probably just running through the stuff with them maybe maybe and, 
but there were a lot of people that ran through there. They, I think they auditioned for two or three weeks. Oh, I bet. Wow. Good for you. Okay. So you're around for the next couple of albums and then that band starts to fall apart, I guess. Um, is it a matter of them falling apart or is it John just getting really itchy to go solo or what's at the heart of that? John was getting a little bit just disillusioned with the industry, the business itself and um, the way the record company really wasn't coughing up the money that we, we were out there working hard. We, yeah, we, you were. We opened, opened up for Alice Cooper, went straight into opening up for Sticks, went straight into opening up for uh, Journey. And all of these bands, that's how Jonathan got in Journey. And that's really was the breakup of the band. John called me and said, look, I just got a call. They want me to come up and audition Greg Raleigh. And Greg Raleigh, when we were on the road, I'd hang out with Greg and his wife. And the, Greg said, yeah, this is it for me. I'm leaving. And I'm like, are you out of your mind? You're at the, <laughs> you guys are at the top and you're going to walk away from this. But he was. So um, I had been jamming with Neil Sean and Steve Smith and clubs and just on days off we'd have sometimes set stuff up and and i said jonathan you should come along man you should you should you should come hang and he goes oh i can't play that fusion stuff and i said we're not playing fusion we're playing whatever we're just, you yeah. know we're just jam and so he, he came to a few things and and they saw i think what i never heard i never know not a peep from anybody mm -hmm. but the next thing i'm getting a phone call from jonathan saying hey this is what's going on journeys asked me to come up herbie herbert had a long conversation with me wants to fly me up to San Francisco. They're very interested in me joining the band and I don't want to walk out on you guys. I, and yeah. I haven't told you and I haven't told any Wally or Tony. And I, I said, you know, it's been kind of shaky lately in the band. And if I was honest, I don't want you to go, but I'd be a horrible friend and, you know, confidant. If I didn't tell you, you should, you should go and yeah. then make a decision. Yeah. Yeah, and he got up there, and of course they they offered him the moon, and that's yeah. and he ended up writing all those look. Those lot exactly. of those songs were going to be on the next. Oh day, my gosh. Can you imagine? But he was, but he was fighting, and he was having trouble with I think John, wait, agreeing on a few things, mm -hmm. and you know that when you're young, you don't have patience, you don't have you, you make mm -hmm. some runs. It, it could it could have been the thing that launched our career. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, but, that makes yeah. sense. So there's a. a there's kind of a gap. I mean, there's like seven, eight years, nine years or so between the end of babies and the beginning of bad English. Oh yeah. What are you, right. what are you doing? Are you, I mean, did it get rough? Did you have to not, not literally move back into the cockroach infested, uh, <laughs> you know, small apartment, but kind of mentally like, boy, I was, I was with a blue collar, hardworking, yeah. you know, successful band. And now I'm back to this. I did a lot of things. One of the coolest things, I started writing a lot and recording a lot, putting my uh, studio together at a pool house behind my, my home. And, and um, I converted Oh, well, that's that a into, nice step, huh? From the cockroaches yeah. to the pool house. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, <laughs> a, nice, it was a nice step. And I had, um, I don't know if you know who Tim Pierce is, but he's probably- Yeah, uh, he's been on here too. One of the greatest <laughs> session guys ever. Well, Tim- uh, when Tim was about 18 and I was touring a lot, I needed somebody to take care of my house while I was gone. And somebody said, well, I know this kid He's from, uh, 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 uh gosh, darn it. Where's he from? Uh, yeah, but he said, um, 
he he's looking for a place to stay. And I said, well, great. I'll, I'll give him cheap rent and he can, he can be here in Marsh place. So Tim Pierce ended up being no we, way. We, even when he got married to Patty, they, they, um, they <laughs> lived with me for a, a, a year or two. And he and Rick Springfield, of course, he, he oh, were yeah. very, very close. And, and, uh, and John Wade, he played on John Wade's record when John did, uh, no breaks. I think it was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Tim's just an incredible. We did a lot of work together, and I turned him onto a, a a thing that really he just with his talent he he hasn't he hasn't had to look back no, since no okay so that the stuff we did I wrote started writing songs I got a song that was in the Terminator I got a couple songs that was in the movie The Terminator yeah um, that led to another movie um, there's a not uh, Silent Night Deadly Night which yeah which. It was a crazy, crazy movie. I wrote a Christmas song for that through Morgan Ames, who uh, was with AFTRA, and she had heard some of my stuff and asked me if I had anything in it. Could, could I write a, a Christmas song that would sound like a pot, like it would be on the radio if we want it to be in a major scene that's going to be like it would be played on the air? I said, okay, cool. I started getting other things like that. Yeah. The John Parr thing comes along, and I, I go to do that tour and a few other things. Uh, let me think. Was Belinda Carlisle? I did a bit. Uh, Pat oh, Torpy and I with Belinda, huh? Well, yeah. Pat Torpy and I did a lot of stuff together. Not just the John Parr, but he and I did uh, uh, the Belinda's first solo tour together. And okay. Tim Pierce was Tim Pierce was the guitar player in, in yeah. that. In the, and then then he left to just kind of get moving with what stuff he was yeah. doing. Um, but there were lo- incidental things that weren't long, but I just had, I was always in sort of the mix and yeah. lucky enough to have worn a lot of hats and I could sing and, and I do play different styles. So that was fun. And I got to, Pat and I did a lot of stuff together. Um, okay. He's a dear, dear friend and greatly missed. But then when Jonathan called me up and said, look, journey's splitting up. Um, I want to be ready. I want to have a band ready. Are you yeah. in? How about you? I, he said, I just finished the Michael Bolton Dock of the Bay record. I'm going to help. I'm going to play keyboards to get him started. Can you be looking for guitar players and singers? And anybody that you have heard about in, in the LA area, because he's living up now in the Bay Area. So he said, right. in the LA area, you've been hearing about that we should check out, blah, blah, blah. So 
And Jonathan and I had remained and stayed all through the journey days very, very close. And uh, Muggsy Kane, his brother, and I worked a lot together as well. And get, I got a phone call from John. He said, listen, I'm in New York. Uh-huh. And he said, no, nah, you're not going to like this at first. Because I thought that John Wayne had gone rogue in a way. Ah. And, and um, so I, and the two of them, <laughs> it, well, I, me, John and I are thick as thieves. Uh-huh. Jonathan Kane and I are thick as thieves. Together, it's it's just it's a bitch's brew, you know. That yeah. something's going to go wrong. And he says, "I had dinner with last night with Bingo, which was our nickname for, for John at the time." And he said, "I said, oh god." He goes, "Ah, oh, hear me out, hear me out." Uh-huh, I, hear me. Uh-huh. I think that that you know he's he's really come around and he's he's coming from a different place. And I think uh-huh. he and I can go, get along together. And I'm just going, "Oh god, oh no." But the th- he said, "Here's he said, this is what I propose: the three of us get together in San Francisco at my studio, and let's write, and record, and see what we got." Well, uh-huh. sure enough, three of us get together, and boom, boom, boom! Right, right. things start happening, and then Neil's coming over. Uh, we had a couple guitar players coming over, but Neil started coming over and putting down solos for us. And he said, "Yeah, man, like I'd I'd, I'd love to join the band." But- <laughs> I've been in Journey for all these years, and I want—I really want to do my own thing. And okay, right. we get it. so we're looking, looking, and and we found a, a guitar player whose name I won't mention because I don't want to embarrass him. He's a fantastic guitarist. He ended up doing just fine. Uh-huh. And and Neil comes barging in the door at a rehearsal, and the guy who was playing guitar knew exactly what was up, and we we knew, and we we knew we couldn't deny the what happened when Neil was playing with us at all. Yes. Just. It just it was cohesive and worked. Yeah, yeah. So there did was Neil feel it too, or did he need to be like, I know you just got out of one of the biggest bands in the world, but come be with us. You have to sell it to him, or was he like feeling that vibe as well? Do you think? You know, I don't know because we had I had put him out of our, my mind. We moved to Los Angeles where I lived, and we started re- working out of there. Jonathan got, and John both got apartments they rented, and we we were down there and I just thought Neil was, we just, and this one guitar player, I wasn't absolutely hundred percent. He was an amazing guitar player. I wasn't sure if he was the right guy. Yeah. He was a little, young, a little younger. And there's a thing about Neil being a little bit older and kind of like, we all had that same place mm-hmm. that we came from musically. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know if John, John Kane was calling him and going, come on, Neil, come on. I don't think he was. But the door, the door burst open in Los Angeles. So Neil had flown down to throw his hat in the ring and say, "I want That's in." That's great. You know? That's great. Yeah. Right. Well, and that first album was so successful, and you made it on that cusp of being. There's the hair metal stuff, which you guys look the part, but aren't completely in the part. It's more journey, and then grunge <laughs> comes along shortly after this, and yeah. you get grandfathered in for a little bit, and then the band breaks up and. What was going on at the time of backlash that hmm. made it go south? And this is a this is a common story with supergroups, we'll call them, where guys, you know, have a gap in their schedules and they come together yeah. and want to do something. And then that gap, either they don't like it or they're used to being the kings of their own castles and other bands and they want to go back or something else happens. Why backlash? Why did it happen? I think um there's just too many cooks sometimes yeah, and yeah. um and their their brothers do fight as i said before and it's all started off nicey nice and then all of a sudden 
when you've got all these control freaks mm-hmm. together, yeah, you, that's it. Amazing things. You, it's, it's hard to chase all the great things that come out, but then the competitive underbelly of all of this begins to tear at the fabric, and then somebody doesn't think they're getting control, and somebody maybe even accidentally disses this guy and doesn't honor something that he was brought to the table that was he thought highly of nobody else did just it's never one thing and but it's it it's a chemistry thing and i i called it i knew it would eventually happen between the two johns mm-hmm. and they don't speak you know and it's yeah. a shame as they wrote yeah. some beautiful beautiful music together um but um and with neil neil and i started off rough because i'm not sure he was sure i was the right guy when he came in mm. um which i I think I, I sniffed out and then it turned out that he was coming over to my house to my studio and he and I were writing and working together. I, he flew me to San Francisco a couple of times and we worked up there. Once he realized what I could do, what I brought to the table, cause I don't have that personality where I'm right. You know, like they do. <laughs> and so I'm a little bit more, uh, I'm fine with being in the background. I'm absolutely yeah. just fine with it. And I'd prefer it that way. But, Neil and I wrote some really cool stuff, and I'm. Yeah. Matter of fact, I've been, and it's on some of it's on real to real tapes uh, for my studio. Oh, stuff I, we don't even know. Yeah, and Ooh. I and I've been trying to f- find a couple boxes that I know I have the of some of that stuff. I want to put it up and make sure it even still plays. Yeah, but <laughs> but but it was just a fun time for me. It was yeah. a shame that, that the the boys couldn't get along. You know, yeah. they could. Yeah, they didn't play nice after a while. Yeah, John Waite was on here a couple of years ago, and he was so great, and uh, he alluded to some of these issues. Uh, I was going to say, and if this is, if you'd prefer not to answer this question or even go there, you tell me. I'm not trying to dig up dirt or anything, but there's a, yeah. there are a couple of uh, common themes to the two of the bands that you've been in that broke up, and that was Jonathan Kane and John Waite. It their, yeah. their talent, but also their explosiveness ended the babies and then ended bad English. Is there some, is that, is that ultimately what did these two bands in is the two of them kind of vying for yeah. top dog status? Yeah. In a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I don't know if you've I, seen John Waite's new documentary. Have you seen it? I, I did on the plane, uh, the last a uh, couple weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. It's really and good. And you can, this is not a knock on John Waite at all, but you can tell that's his personality. You know, and you could tell where Jonathan Kane has been the last however many years that that's partly his pop, you know, uh, yeah. personality as well. It's Different not a surprise people. here. Yeah, there's great diversity between the two of them. They yeah. don't look at they don't look at anything the same. No, um, but that was great for songwriting. Yeah, they would each come in with something fresh for the other. Oh, what about this? Oh, I yeah. wouldn't have thought. You know, and it was always good. Yeah. So okay, that backlash album. It's just full of ballads. And I like more than half of it, I think, is ballads. And they're nice. It was nice when, you know, when I see you smile, hits number one. It's a great song. That first album has a has a nice mixture of all the ranges. Backlash to me feels like half hard rockers and half let's make weaker Xerox copies of when I see you smile type ballads. Do you know what I mean? Um, I don't think that was the intention, but I agree with you. Um, yeah, yeah. Although I love, I love those recordings, and I love see that when once they started working outside of the band and 
I'm sure this came from uh, someone I love dearly, but he's no longer with us, so I'm not going to mention his name. Okay. He was a great, great guy, but I what I didn't like about him is he would always go after, you know, as, as wonderful as I love Diane Warren, and she's a sweetheart, but the, you, you got to have, you got to get inside the band and see who you are. You just yeah. don't go off and find fluffy, obviously fantastic songs, no mm -hmm. dig on anybody, but right. that's what started. And they started farming us off with, with writers from various different places. And the cohesion of what once was went away on that record. Mm -hmm. What I've, the reason I'm proud of that record is because of how good it sounds mm -hmm. with that in mind. I am True. not a, I'm not a fan of uh, the songwriter room records. I'm just, yeah. that, that's, that's not what I'm in it for. I like Led Zeppelin. You know, yeah. I like the who I give me, who are you? Don't give yeah. me. You said, and, and I think they got hung up on what a number one song does for a, a career. Perfectly and, said. That's it. And, and yep. that took us in. So a they tried to recreate a bunch of them. Yeah. They're all Kane Waite co-writes on that album and they're mostly ballads. And it just feels like two guys on an Island by themselves with maybe not without you guys or consulting you guys until it's time to record thinking how do we have another one, number one monster ballad like we did the last time there's one song on that record that i'm very proud of Ooh, it's tell me which one it's it's a song that john Waite and i wrote uh with a buddy of mine actually i um i knew john was hung up on cult on these co-writes uh -huh. and i had one, one guy that had never had really a big hit or anything but i knew he was a good writer and he was staying in my house he was from san francisco he was staying in my house for a while i gave him one of my spare bedrooms to have a little studio in for a short period. We wrote a song with Jesse's title, but John and I pretty much dominated writing the song. It's called Time Stood Still. And it, this is the way it started. John said, um, we found a little seaside bar high above the rocks. And then I came in with, you were drinking white wine and I was doing shots. I remember that line. <laughs> and, and John went, all right, we're, we're going to get, we're getting that. <laughs> and when, once, you get, once you get John interested and he's going, oh, this is going in a good place. Things happen like this. Yeah. John is just, Boom, 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 boom. And that song was written in less than an hour. No way. And less than an hour. And uh, we did a demo of it right right during the next hour. We did a demo. Uh -huh. uh, I played the guitar and I had an idea to do this flamenco sort of guitar 
beginning, which I mean, Neil embraced and just absolutely killed it. It was a great, I don't know if you remember the intro to that. Oh, that's yeah. The one, that's the one song on that record that to me has, it has heart. It goes yeah. into the, you can, you can hear the, the heart. You totally soul. can deeper uh than the rest of the record the rest of it's it okay. it's good it's yeah. good no. great, great yep. playing agreed uh, you, you guys aren't going to put out a bad album everybody involved is so good it just yeah. was a it was just a p paler comparison and you can t and the you know you guys didn't want to be in a band anymore with each other and i get it so let's talk real quick about the coverdale page record because that that's kind of uh in some ways kind of infamous i mean you get pulled in to what was the intention? I mean, this is just before Page and Plant start having success doing their own thing. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. And so I had the rock writer Mick Wall on here last year, and we had a great conversation about this. He's really close with Jimmy Page, and my I just don't understand why, if you're Jimmy Page, why you don't do more. I mean, Robert Plant is out there doing whatever he wants in his solo career, exploring all different avenues. It doesn't have to sound like Led Zeppelin. And uh, he he's comfortable with his where he, what he does. It's almost like Jimmy Page doesn't know what to do, and so he does nothing. And I wonder if he did Coverdale Page thinking, David Coverdale is going to be my next plant, and we're going to just do it all over again. Maybe so. And, and I think that he was 40, I'm going to say 6 at that time, 45, 46. And I think that Jimmy still had some... You know, he he still had something left, whereas Robert. Oh, that album is great. Yes, he had. That's what I mean. It's like it's a shame that Jimmy isn't out there doing more things. Well, I, I know that, but I felt like I even, while we were together, we spent a lot of time, we first went to Tahoe, they didn't want us in New York or Los Angeles, around people and the label interfering, they just put us in Tahoe, I got a, and we had, uh, Bad English had opened up for Whitesnake, so I got a call from David asking me if I'd be interested in this project, he's <laughs> Jimmy Page, How, what do you think the answer was? Uh, so, uh, so, and then he told me Danny Carmassi was going to be playing with us. Well, Danny's a dear friend of mine, and I love Danny's drumming. Absolutely uh -huh. adore D Danny's drumming. And I loved Montrose, and I loved everything he's done. Um, and the stuff he did with Hart, I saw Hart a couple times with him on drums. It was just, what a pocket. So I knew that part of it was going to be good. And Danny and I are still friends. I mean, it's 
but the projects turned in no nothing between David and Jimmy or anything. Oh, that was okay, good. That, that was always good. Um, I don't know if they had any disagreements while writing because that really wasn't my gig. David called me up and said, "We, Jimmy and I are going to do this project, and we want a strong rhythm section." And I, I really like what I saw uh, in Bad English. And and yeah. would you be up for? Uh, hell yeah! So yeah. we started woodshedding and working on the songs i was playing keyboards on everything and we were demoing things and um the crazy thing is they got uh always blanks who played who played the final keyboards but amazing his amazing virtuosic you know guy and and he ended up playing a lot of my my keyboard parts with much better sounds and tones but i was really thrilled with some of that but it was just, we were just, I was trying to get it going and trying to do what I could to keep pushing it forward. And, um, but it was all Jimmy and David. We hung out together. We, the four of us hung out a lot together and then moved up to Vancouver. Once the stuff was written to record at Little Mountain, it was all of a sudden, all the hard work we put in, I will say this, that Jimmy and David put on the brakes and where I'm going, are we? cutting today or what's going yeah. on and uh, well i just sent you know someone so out for tea and crumpets and and you know and like, <laughs> okay and it began to just lose its energy uh, yeah. or whatever uh and i took then i finished all all my parts i wrote all the bass parts but when they got to um florida to criteria to for to jimmy it took jimmy a year to do his guitar parts he just wasn't into it. I just, you know, couldn't find that. I think Jimmy's great in a group. And I wish yeah. we would have all just huddled up and been like a rock band and do yeah. like Led Zeppelin did and all do it, to, not together so much. It's your turn to do this, but that support and fire. And it just became the, you know, there's too much. There, I don't want to say it, it's because whatever makes you hungry. Yeah. They weren't, they weren't hungry anymore. That's what I was thinking, Ricky. I, when you're a rock god who's been at the top of the mountain and you start a new project with the best of intentions, but it means having to start all over again from the bottom, Yeah, your energy level or your fire or whatever, like you were just saying, your hunger is going to dissipate really quickly. It's like, man, I don't yeah. have to. I'm a rock god. I make millions of dollars just sitting here because I was in big bands. I don't have to do this if I don't want to. You right. know, and right. so it's, they lose that. It, it makes sense. It's a shame because that album is so I, good. I don't even think it's a conscious thought. I agree I with. Just, I one hundred percent agree with you. I don't think they would. They would admit to that or realize is. it. Yes, it just just is, and then they, they yeah. don't like at my whole career. I was fighting to get somewhere. Right. I really, I really, even even in downtimes, because you don't want to have too long of a downtime. So I was. I was in the hunt, man. I was I was in the game and and trying to make the next chess move <laughs> properly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, it was a really fun time, and I really loved Jimmy and David both. I just can't speak highly enough of the time we had together. Yeah. Uh, it was a true. I mean, we did crazy things. Like we went to see the second Terminator movie. The three of us. Um, Danny was back visiting his family, and so we went. <laughs> I went to, and it. The funny thing about Jimmy Page is we went, we were in a 7-Eleven in between Reno and Tahoe. It's in the middle of nowhere. 
All of a sudden, 30 people drive up to the 7-Eleven because Jimmy Page is, I mean, I don't know. It happened in, in less than 15 minutes, right? So he ca- the poor guy does, you know, yeah. feel like. Yeah. He can't escape but, anybody. But we had, we had, we had so, we have so many, you know, private lines and jokes that we came up with that I still recall. I bet. It was just a great time. I bet. So, I mean, I think we've hit on all the big chapters of your career. What, uh, as I was talking earlier, I'm curious what happens in those gaps. Um, you mentioned John Parr, which I, again, I didn't even know about. What are, are there other, did you hop on a tour uh, with somebody else in the, you know, in between one of these things? I, yeah, a lot of stuff. I just, I, I just forget. Uh, and all of a sudden, say, oh, I played on that record. But you did, you know? <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. I did yeah. a lot of stuff for Keith Olsen. Keith was really uh, good. To he, me. Oh, I loved him. Yeah, Keith yeah. was really good, good to me. Um, and worked for him for years. Yeah, and just sessions. He would call me up, and I would show up sometimes at like nine o'clock at night because he wanted yeah. to get something done and there were other producers that that i worked with um you know it's mitchell, interesting I, oh go ahead what were you gonna say M- mitchell Froome, who is uh i love mitchell Froome. yeah i mean very i don't know if a lot of people are hip to how incredibly gifted that guy is well but, the first crowded house album is my favorite album of all time yeah and he produced it and tim pierce played on it that is correct. And as a matter yeah. of fact, all those guys were over that when Tim and I were living together, all those guys were over at our house while they're making that record. What? And, um, okay. Here we uncovered something big. So crowded <laughs> house was hanging out in your pool house while making that album. Not in my pool house, but I, I loaned them gear to, because they are from Australia. Right. So, yeah. uh, I loaned them gear amplifiers and, and stuff. And matter of fact, I'd never played a specter bass until, you know, he came in with his specter bass and i went oh that's uh-huh. cool you know but, I, but they didn't have they didn't ship over all their amplifier and i had some really good stuff and i can't remember what else but because tim was playing on the record and mitchell was producing mm-hmm. mitchell said hey you know can we borrow your sdt head can we use this can we use that whatever and uh so and we were very I lived fairly close to with his studio where they were working too. So that was a convenient thing. And, and then Mitchell, Mitchell and I were, were friends. We had been Uh friends before that. I met him when he was working with Ronnie Montrose and, uh, we just, I did another record. He, I think the first record Mitchell produced, I played bass on him. I wrote a couple songs on that record for for an artist. Noel and the red wedge. You've never heard of it. I've heard of them. I don't, I may have heard that album somewhere. That sounds really familiar. Yeah, Scotty Brothers label and Scotty um, Brothers. That's it. Yeah. And I I wrote some pretty cool songs on it. Right, I was a fun time because I wasn't no pressure. I'm not writing for mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin. I'm writing for mm-hmm. you know, something nobody's ever heard. Right. So I was pulling out all the stops and putting some writing some clever stuff uh-huh. that might uh-huh. have been over. Adds to this or to that, you know.
yeah, Mitchell you know, went on to he produced, you know, uh, Elvis Costello, Paul yeah. McCartney. You know, I mean, we're we're talking about a guy that oh yeah, hang. he married Suzanne Vega. Yeah. yeah, he and I have the same birthday. I think about oh, him really? every year because on Facebook, you know, when it says what your birthday is, and he and I have the same birthday. Oh, that's awesome. Um, well, I've tried to get him on here him. several times. What's that? You speak with him. I a big, lovely. I miss you, bro. Oh, I will let you. him know. I've yeah. always wanted to get him on. Um, do you remember any? I, if you don't, it's okay. I, you you just touched on a band that means a lot to me. Um, do you remember any interactions with Neil Finn or anything other than seeing Nick Seymour's bass and thinking I like that? Do you any yeah. conversations? Did you guys get grab a beer together or smoke a joint or never, anything like that? Never did because they were usually in my garage looking at my gear and saying, "Can we take this? Can we take this?" Oh my and, gosh! Wow. Uh, and oh. so yeah, it was that kind of a thing. And they uh, were busy. They didn't yeah. have a big lot of money in, no. into that. They weren't big yet. You know, this is a brand new thing. I'm trying to think of this other uh, this other band that Mitchell produced. It just um, oh, it's gonna oh, bug it's me. Gonna, he he. The, if, the, the crazy thing about Mitchell is that he's so gifted that if you do, if you stumble across those records, they're so ahead of their time in a certain sense that I yeah. see why maybe they weren't huge. Uh, but well, he so, has a very specific sound too. Yeah. Um, to his, I always think of it as kind of sweaty and claustrophobic in a way. <laughs> I don't think that's on the credit house album. Del yeah. Pueblos, that's what I was trying to think of. Yes. Just so good. I mean, what it says, that record has a sense of humor to it. Yes. How do you do, you do that? Yeah. It's so cool. Oh yeah, man. Really We're touching. Yes. And then he did. Yeah. Richard Thompson album and oh yeah that's right Elvis Costello Bodine's I forgot Peter about Case them. oh Peter Case anyway yeah um I just I love everything he does wow I had no idea we touched on this okay again I'm going to ask you a hard question as I said earlier do you have any thoughts on where Neil Sean and Jonathan Kane are today today with their issues about playing songs at Trump rallies and all that kind of stuff. And any thoughts or on Jonathan and his wife and kind of they've they've you know they've hooked themselves to a controversial wagon, unfortunately. Yeah. I know those guys mono on mono. Yeah. And what has taken them to where they both are, both with strong women who uh -huh. are big parts of their lives. I have a strong woman myself, but uh -huh. I don't really, they wouldn't, this would, if they didn't have the power they have, they wouldn't be in this situation. So everything that might be this big is this big. Yeah. And I don't think they know how to handle it because of their significant, not necessarily blaming their significant others, but, their decisions are not just the two of them anymore. And so they have a big, they have big private, their own worlds are big now, yeah. each of them. And I can't really make comment on, on dissing either one of them in any manner or fashion, because I don't, you don't know what it's like in somebody else. You know, yeah. I just hope that I'm, I hope that they give each other a big hug someday and say, Hey bro, yeah. We're bigger. We're bigger than this. Yeah. But I think there is greed that gets in there. I think that happens. I, I think it's real. 
whoever is pissed off at who at whatever time is probably very valid. Mm-hmm. They both have, as as do I. I have my moments, and um, we all do. And yeah. and their moments are are governing a multi 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 million dollar band industry. Yeah. Yeah. In an industry that is, they've they've navigated very well. Mm-hmm. So here they are, and where they yeah. go from here, it, it's a big move. I think that's why kind of they're stable mates right now because they realize, well, either one of us makes a move, it's over. Do we really want that? Yeah. Uh, and I get that's it's a tough place to be. I hope that they can just I don't know put a bottle in the middle of the table and say, yeah, okay, you know, yeah, yeah. let's drink it out. Um, it's interesting. I won't say who, but I was having a conversation with someone close to the sticks uh, world. And we were talking about what's at the heart of the issues between Dennis and the rest of the guys. And this person had mentioned that wives played a part in that too. And you don't have to confirm or deny. Um, it's just when you were talking about strong, this is not a knock on wives in any way, but yeah. when people have families and spouses and yeah. lives and kids to consider, and money, and all these different... It's not just one hungry rock star anymore. It's a whole family of people who have to deal with that guy. Everyone's opinion gets thrown into the mix, you know? Sure, absolutely. I I actually have never heard that before, believe it or not. So, oh, interesting. But, but I'm not saying it might not be true. It's just, you know, I one of the great things about this band is we get along so well. Yeah. I, I know when it's time to back away from this guy, that guy, or this guy, or that guy. Well, whoop, they're having a day. Uh-huh. We're old. We're older now. We recognize. We recognize it before it, it really gets off the table. So yeah. that's a blessing. When you're younger, you don't do. You don't. You just yeah. march right through. And somebody gets pissed off, and you don't maybe even know why. But um, I don't know what happened to s- split them up from Dennis and have everybody just go. You know. It's either he he goes or we all go. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's a lot of power to have. He had a lot he of power. He did. And and uh, but I have no idea. I can't. I can't voice an opinion there. I, yeah. I have no idea, and I don't want to. And the cool thing is, nobody goes around in this band and disses him. That's good we to go hear. That's we're good. just we're just very happy that we have each other right now yeah. and can play wonderful music that Dennis is a big part of creating. Sure. Um, the great respect, great yeah. respect. Um, the fact that's a great way to put it, you know? Yeah. What, do you remember? I have to ask, do you remember what, were you a p- privy to the conversations that were happening that were invited, that were about having Mr. Roboto back into the set list? Cause they wouldn't okay. play that for a long time. And then they agreed to, No, and I, I didn't want to play that freaking song. <laughs> I'll say it that, but I'll, I'll say that because I'm following that up with something else. Right. Bobby, <laughs> I was watching, I remember it was the same house where Tim Pierce and I lived. Uh-huh. Um, I was watching MTV and Roboto comes on. And I had list, uh, there was had a two for Tuesday where I listened to Too Much Time on My Hands and uh, Snowblind. Oh. And I was like, holy crap, Sticks has elevated their game, you know? And yeah. I heard that, I thought Snowblind still one of my favorite songs. Yeah. And Too Much Time on My Hands is just a great, fun song. It is. But, uh, okay, where was I going with this? Wait a minute. Uh, Mr. Roboto, that freaking song. Oh, yeah. So so Tommy comes to me, and he goes, listen to this. And there's some, not a punk band, but some sort of 
esoteric younger much younger than us band had a version of rubato and, and we listened to it and we went that's fucking cool you know <laughs> so uh he said what if we that isn't that far and we don't have to listen to this but what if we just gave it that edge play it with a little more teeth you know yeah let's do it for fun let's uh, see what happens we did it for fun and i'll be damned if it wasn't it just brought the house down yeah. i don't even know if people know we're playing it it's very different than the it is. yeah but it is. but i don't know if people really and we weren't we're not intentionally doing anything but to play it with teeth yeah. you know yeah and not make it all show busy and you know uh, right. broadway you know to get rid of the broadway and let's yeah. make it make you have some tough some teeth yeah. and, and kick it in the ass and make it cool you know and that's all we've done and now we look forward to playing it oh that's great i loved it it was uh yeah i mean it's such a big part better or worse of the stick story and the sticks history and uh you got to put it in there for the fans and doing it the way you guys did more of a rockier version why not? Why not do the version you're happy with? The crowd's happy. Everybody wins. You know. Yep, it breaks the house down every night. I, yeah. I think people, I think people, the people that are like this, well, they're playing rubato. All else, by the end of the song, yeah, kinda, absolutely, <laughs> they are absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, Ricky, I love you a lot, and you're part hey, of man. so much music that matters to me. And uh, I'm so uh, grateful we did this. I've been wanting—I could just sit at your feet and hear these stories <laughs> for hours. Are you uh, kidding? Yeah. I love it. Well, let's do it. We'll do it again. I love we'll it. it. Thanks again. so much. All right, there you have it, Ricky Phillips. I love that. I love that guy. I could just spend so much time with him, hearing these stories. You know, he's seen it all, done it all, witnessed it all, worked with it all. Everybody, I just love it. I want to close it out with a song that he co-wrote, one of the baby's songs. It's called Anytime. And uh, just a super talented guy. Huge thanks to Amanda Kagan for helping make this happen and Ricky and I's mutual friend Shay Zero for making it happen. Thank you, ladies. Now, the next few weeks of episodes might be a little fluid. Um, I Don't take what I say when I introduce what's coming up next week. That may change. Next week, I'm pretty sure is going to be the founder of one of the greatest record labels in history. Um, that's who's coming up next week. And uh, it could change, but because we have some time-sensitive ones, we got to squeeze in here too. But th- I'm pretty sure that's what's coming up next week. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man, for everything. Thank you, buddy. Uh, you guys can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at The Hustle Pod. And uh, no bonus material on the horizon, at least for the next little while. But uh, I'm working on some stuff. I always am. All right? Thanks, everybody. We love you.